to ESPN's The Far Coast podcast. I'm your host, Dean Heffernan. Ah, just kidding. Um, <laughs> my name's Marissa Lordanik. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. I'm joined by my three best pals, Angela Christian-Wilkes, Sam Lewis and Anna Harrington. We're going to crack into some women's football chat because that's what we do here every week. And we started off with some you'd love to see it. So Angela, kick us off. What did you love to see this weekend? This week, I love to see Emily Van Egmond doing what she does best, um, scoring and assisting. Um, and this was for West Ham in their match against Birmingham. She got their first goal to equalise with them, um, with Birmingham. Sorry. Um, just, Anna was talking about it earlier, a bit of a funny goal. Um, she was just left alone in the box. Big, tall gal. Just got a, got a little dink on it. I did like the finish, though. Um, I think that she did well to, like, get the right touch on it to send it in and then she got the assist um later on on Spitgover's second goal and yeah that's when I left and I stopped watching the match and I was like all is well in the world and then I checked the result later on and West Ham had drawn and it's too all it's why I just anyway they're on the bottom of the table that's the cause of my distress right now they're about to be relegated but Emily Van Egmont scoring you'll have to see it we love to see that bit of the performance. We do not love to see West Ham on the bottom of the table. Sam, what did you love to see this weekend? So even though Newcastle Jets haven't really had the best season, uh, perhaps not according to their standards or anyone else's standards for that matter, one of the players who I think has been an absolute stand-up for them has been Claire Coelho. And she had an absolute ripper game against Canberra United over the weekend. Even though they lost 1-0, it was largely because of Claire Quaylo just like basically accessing the matrix and saving goals that absolutely did not deserve to be saved, especially one that came in from the left. Uh, Michelle Heyman assist for Nikki Flannery, who like met it on the volley, in, in, basically on the six yard line. And Quaylo just like, she just knew where the ball, I don't know how she did it, but I, I posted a gif on Twitter. It was just unbelievable. So Claire Quaylo making just God tier saves. You love to see it. You absolutely love to see it. And Harry, what did you love to see this weekend? I love to see uh, Mallory Weber stepping up when Adelaide United needed someone to step up and show some leadership against Western Sydney. They were a goal down in that must win game at Cooper stadium. And to be honest, they didn't really look like much in the early part of the game. And that was until Weber is just sort of driving in from the left and put, whips this sort of amazingly placed ball across the face of goal. And it just sort of lands nicely for Isabel Hodgson to take a, a really nice touch and slam it back where it came from into the bottom corner. Um, just a really, really nicely weighted goal from Mallory Weber at a time where Adelaide needed it more than ever. We, we wondered who would step up with Dylan Holmes going. And I think Weber gave a little indication of just who could if they make finals. So, yeah, that defining moment. And they went on to kick on and win from there from Mallory Weber. You'd love to see it. Absolutely love to see it. And there was lots more to love from that game, but we'll get to that a little bit later. We'll start off with the game we missed last week and the starting match of this round. So again, it was another Perth bonanza. and This time it was big energy Perth v Melbourne in, uh, in two separate games. So we'll talk about them kind of combined because it's just easier that way. But we had both Victory and City earning 1-0 wins over Perth Glory in Perth. Like, 
how else can we talk about Perth and the Melbourne sides? Like it's very much a kind of we we've said almost everything that that needs to be said here. But Sam, I'll handle it off to you. Try and describe these these two games and what it means for everyone involved. Look, I think Perth are getting better. I think anybody who has watched Perth from the beginning of the season to now can see that they're getting better. They're starting to really lay down. <laughs> Angela, are you laughing because of Bo? <laughs> I saw his little head there distracted me. Damn it. Oh, God. Okay. Bo, no, honey. See, now he knows that he's, he's caused a ruckus. And so he's like, me, me. Oh, God. Oh. Just like his mother. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> um, all right. What was I saying? So, Perth, I think uh, they're getting better. You know, from anyone who's watched them from the start of this season to now can see that they're getting better. They're really starting to understand the principles that Alex Apakis, I think, is wanting to lay down. They're trying to play forward football. Their ability to pass out of pressure, I think, is improving. It's just that they they just don't have the attacking weapons that they need in order to really capitalise on that that really good sort of two-thirds of the field work that they have been doing. And the fact that they've kept a bunch of teams to one nils, I think, is pretty indicative of that sort of improvement. Um, I have really enjoyed the sort of the, the growth of Caitlin Douglas over the last two games. You know, even though I'm sort of saying that they don't really have attacking weapons, I feel like Douglas has sort of taken the initiative now that she's realised that she's basically the only one who has any speed in their front line and is going for it. You know, she's been, I think, their most impressive attacking player over these last two games. She, you know, had a number of uh, really good opportunities saved by both goalkeepers in uh, the victory and the City games. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think the more that they try to sort of um, exploit that, the her speed to down the wings and just try and have someone coming through the middle like a Hannah Lowry um, or like Mariana Tabane, someone who sort of knows how to make those forward runs from deep. Perhaps that will be their best opportunity going forward because they do have two games left to play. Um, you know, that doesn't really give them uh, that much scope. But, you know, if they're, if they're able to uh, make a statement and take points off one of the two teams in the next round... Oh, in the next, does it even count as rounds anymore? I don't even know what round we're in. Um, then, yeah, I mean, I think it will be vindication of a lot of the hard work that this team has actually been doing over the, the course of this very disrupted season. And it'll, I think, give them something really good to build on going forward. I guess just to look at the other side of the coin with that first game um, early in the week with Melbourne victory, it was a real sort of banana skin game for them. I think they just had to bank the points, get on with it. They've got Two games that, as we said last week, two games against Perth, a game against Sydney. Um, by winning that game earlier in the week, uh, courtesy of Annalie Longo just popping up again, she just seems to do that right place, right time so often for victory. Um, then they can sort of really look at one, qualify for finals, two, even being contention for the Premier's plate, which is extraordinary. Um, <laughs> and yeah, they just try and build a bit of form ahead of finals. I don't think their last couple of wins have been particularly impressive in terms of the, I guess, the way they've gone about them. But at the end of the day, it's the end product. I mean, if victory get three points against Perth next time and they do it 
even if it's not relatively comfortably, you'd still probably rather be in that position than, I guess, uh, Adelaide or Canberra where you're playing delightful, wonderful football, but not necessarily getting the results um, all the time. So, yeah, I, I mean, you can't really say too much about that game beyond it was Perth, as you said, Sam, gave a good test of victory. Um, they're lacking, I guess, the the potency up front, uh, an out-and-out striker to really put away any of those chances they created, but they they made it hard. And that's what you want. You, the last thing they needed was to continue on copping some big scores like they did earlier in the season. They've tightened up and it's stuff that they can really build on going into next year when they should hopefully have a bit more stability and be able to pull together a playing roster a bit easier and that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, on the other side of the coin, as I said, victory, job done. They've got one more job to do against Perth and then they're in finals. And the, that Sydney FC game, which has obviously been postponed um, you think is then effectively deciding where they finish. So that's that's what Jeff Hopkins want. Just three more points, put them away, carry on. Yeah, I, I was also I was I was impressed with Riley Dobson. I think that that's a player. It's one of the only players really that Melbourne City have carried across from the last season. And now that she has been getting regular starting minutes, I think she's um, showing how dangerous she really is. You know, she's been really good at MPL level for a long time. And I think a lot of people forget that she's actually been part of the W League for 10 years. She notched her 100th appearance in the league this season. Uh, but yeah, she seems to have just flown under the radar for a lot of that time. But she popped up and scored the, uh, scored the winner against Perth um, this weekend. And you know, I think that that was, it was, again, vindication of her really hard work and a reward, I think, for uh, the persistence, perhaps, that Melbourne City have shown in just constantly trying to use the weapons that they have available to them, uh, because obviously they've had to uh, sort of adjust their expectations quite a bit in that way. Uh, but alongside Raleigh, I thought that, again, Alex Chudiak was exceptional. Um, the ball that she put through for Raleigh, which was like an insane reverse pass and took out like four or five defenders in one, one moment was the ball. Um, you know, her probably alongside Chinatu Kira, I think they have been the, the beating heart of this Melbourne City side and probably one of the reasons why they're not going to look as terrible at the end of the season on the table as perhaps we thought they would. Um, you know, she, I, I, it's to the point now where I'm, I've been so impressed with Chidiak that I'm wondering if she's maybe in contention for a, an Olympics call-up because, you know, there are a couple of other midfielders that perhaps haven't been showing the same kind of creativity going forward um, and the same sort of engine and the same sort of hunger that I think Chidiak has been showing. Yeah, I'd be interested to, to hear your girls' thoughts as well on that. Sam, I just want to pull together a list of your call of Olympics bolters this year because I reckon we're up to about 18 already. And that's not including yeah. the 18-odd Matildas that would probably be already in the mix. It's, it's exciting. Like, I, I love it. It's, <laughs> we need to almost have a little bell or something that goes off um, when you call for it. But, yeah, like, I mean, we know Alex Chidiak's got the quality, don't we? Like, there's never been a question over that. It was always about getting game time against good opposition, performing strongly, and actually showing what she could do on a consistent basis, which is something she's not been able to do through a combination of injuries and bad luck and form and probably wrong move at the wrong time as we've discussed before on this pod um, in terms of going to Atletico Madrid um, but there's no reason why she can't put herself in contention if if there's going to be some sort of camp based here or extended squad here like she's clearly been one of the pick of the the midfielders here Barca to Tamiki Yallop who's clearly already you know a 
guaranteed Matilda's squad member. Um, I mean, you just would call her up, wouldn't you? <laughs> like, you may as well see what she can do when she's up against the players that have been playing over in Europe and playing against high-quality opposition to see, I guess, how she's stacked up. Because she certainly, I think, got some runs on the board here um, in terms of not only her own form, but doing it and reproducing that form in a team that's not necessarily done that well. Um, that's, I mean, for me, you, you have to have her in the mix. Yeah, and, and just bouncing back a little bit, going back to talking about Riley Dobson, I've also rated her very highly, especially these past couple of games. I think what a, a great thing about her is she's very consistent and you know exactly what you're going to get. And she always puts in the hard yards and always puts in the effort. Um, and I think that makes her a really great sign. So it doesn't surprise me that the city have brought her back, but um, yeah, d- definitely rating her. And especially in that game last week against Newcastle as well, I thought she had a standout performance. So great to see her get the goal there. Yeah. So as we said, Perth lost to victory 1-0, City 1-0. We should make mention Emma Checker made her 100th W League appearance, which is, as we all know, a sensational achievement. We've had a, a few this season which have all been, you know, really, really good. It's lovely to see. It's bananas to think that Emma Checker's 25 and she's been in the W League for a decade. Like, But we'll move along to one of the other games this weekend. As Anna mentioned, there was no... Sydney victory because of the rains in in New South Wales but that did not stop Newcastle and Canberra taking to the pitch that's not to say that it was not raining there it was it was very wet but they at least got to play out the game and it was a 1-0 win to Canberra Michelle Heyman continues to score Angela our resident Heyman watcher please share with us this particular Heyman goal Yes, Marissa. Uh, I I liked it. That's my my place on the pod. Um, yeah, it was it was a great goal from Heyman. Another great goal. Um, but I think my favourite part was that lovely little screw ball, the assist from Grace Ma. So very, um, I think, typical of the way that Canberra played this game. They were on the counter, very quick. Did a lot of zoomies. Grace Ma did that beautiful through ball that threaded it through to Heyman, and Heyman just finished clinically across the goal. A lot of power to it and yeah unstoppable loved it well I mean again it's a it's a, we said it was victory before it's a team doing what they needed to do to keep themselves in the finals mix like shocking conditions like a Newcastle team that as we mentioned last week has popped up at times and created a real challenge like for Canberra at the end of the day they just needed to get the job done um one nil win Sure, they would have liked to boost their goal difference a bit, but they're still ahead of Adelaide on goal difference. They got three points, which is the most important thing, and they're still at one game left um, against Sydney FC, which um, is certainly a challenging one. But they've put themselves in a pretty good position to be able to qualify for finals. Like, at the end of the day, that's what you've got to do. Sometimes you've got to win ugly. Victory did it against Perth. I think Canberra have probably done it here against Newcastle not one of their more spectacular big bags of goals sort of performances, but you take the three points, don't you, in a game like that? I think it was one of the – I quite enjoyed watching this game. I think it was one of the more visually appealing or more interesting games from this small round. Um, Sorry, Perth. But um, 
yeah, it was it was good to see. I think, and they did leave a few chances back in. So it is one of those things like you do actually have to get it in the back of the net to get the three points. I know. Um, but yeah, I, I did really enjoy it. And I think if Canberra keep playing that way and it keep that precision up and keep being clinical, that will really work for them in the finals. But as you say, Harrow, like at the end of the day, you have to get it in the back of the net. Otherwise it doesn't mean anything. But also clean sheet. It's not exactly been a common thing for Canberra this season. So, yeah, it's only their second clean sheet for the season. The other one was against Western Sydney earlier in the year. They've shipped goals at ease at times this year. So just to not cough up a, a really simple one, as we said, in those conditions against a, a Newcastle sort of attack and midfield that has managed to pinch goals occasionally here and there this season. Important defensive showing as well for Canberra. And they're going to need to show more of the same if, um, against Sydney FC. So. Bank the positives, bank the three points, and now they get one last crack to really try and cement their spot in that top four. Can we also quickly talk about the fact that Tara Andrews was on commentary? I don't know if we've talked about this just yet in the W League, but there have been a number of current players who have been used by Fox Sports as co-commentators during games that feature either their own team or like like immediate rivals. So Angie Beard commentating a Melbourne City game. George Yeomandale has commentated basically every team in the league. Like how do we feel about that? I don't know how to feel about it yet. I mean, I, I think it's great that players, uh, more women players are being given opportunities in these kinds of areas of the game. But is there a, a conflict of interest somewhere around that? I don't know. What do you think? I mean, clearly there's a conflict of interest, isn't there? If you're commentating your own team or if you're commentating on games involving your your direct rivals. Um, and it, it, I guess it'd be an interesting position to be put in as a player. Like, what if you got to say something negative about one of your opponents or a good friend or something, and then you come up against them the next week? And, yeah, it's, it is an interesting position for some of these um, players to be put in. I mean, we know a friend of the pod, Grace Gill, is a former Canberra United player and um, Angela you actually mentioned it last week how you can see like I don't think Grace is ever shy about the fact we all know she played for Canberra so <laughs> clearly like there is a vested interest there albeit not in the same way that if you, she was playing for them right now um, it's good to see all these players and past players get a run but yeah in terms of players that are involved right now I think it'd be quite a difficult thing to balance because yeah, they're your teammates, they're your opponents, they're your friends. Like, it's uh, it's quite a difficult thing to try and do. I think the most important thing at the end of the day is to make sure they're paired with a co-commentator who can really help them out and that understands where their potential biases, I guess, or their vested interests might lie and helps them in terms of getting them in there for what they're meant to do, which is provide insight on the game. They're current players. Um, I always think it's great when players that have recently retired commentate on games because they understand the tactics, they understand the different teams, they understand the different personalities in the league. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult juggle, I guess, for some players. But so long as they feel like they can remain, you know, relatively objective, you can't really do it if it's talking about your own team. But so long as, I guess, it's made clear that they do have this conflict of interest or vested interest then I mean good on them for I guess having a go at it it's great to see more players involved it's great to hear more women's voices in the broadcast and yeah some of them have done really really well at it too I do wonder if that may 
that is maybe deliberate as well because I feel if you're new to this, it's a lot easier to speak to players that you know quite well. You know, on the other side of that, it can possibly lead to situations that get you in hot water. But um, I assume that a lot of um, players watching back those games understand the position of their like teammates commentating or their you know friends commentating so yeah but it it is interesting and maybe hopefully like for example we see these same opportunities offered again to these players or there's some sort of pathway so that they can continue to work on it and maybe yeah move out of that zone where they're just um delegated to the teams that they're closest to I'd also love to see some of these players in the teams that don't make finals continue to be used in the final series because then I think you're not necessarily worrying during your game, oh, Canberra going to score extra goals because then that might mean my team misses out. Or, you know, like you're not having to think about what it means for your team in terms of the ladder or in terms of anything like that. Um, and I agree, Angela, it can be easier for them to um, talk about the people they know to, I guess, bring the co-commentator out of their shell a little bit. And I mean, you kind of just have to back in these players that they're not going to be full-blown barracking on the broadcast. I don't think that's been an issue with any of these um, players so far. They've all been professional. Um, they've obviously all got different levels of experience. Um, but yeah, I guess the most important thing is if it's something that these players can see themselves doing, you hope that, I guess, the opportunities get opened up to them to continue doing that, whether that's if they have the time being involved with the stately commentary in the winter or, you know, getting more experience so they can feel more and more confident as they go on, if that's the path they want to take, because the only way you get a, get better as a commentator is to, to just keep on doing it rather than, I guess, being thrown in the deep end for a broadcast game one week and then maybe not doing it again for another six weeks. So Hopefully, if, if some of these players do decide that that's the route they want to go down, they can get supported or get encouraged to continue to build that that part of their career and get given the opportunities to to continue that. Much like, a, I guess, a Georgia Yeomandala has been able to do, um, albeit largely because she had um, those injuries that opened that door. We actually had a question a few weeks ago now from Nick who asked um, what commentary duo from the current playing pool, would we like to see? As you guys have mentioned, Tyra Andrews has jumped behind the mic, Emma Checker, Angie Beard, Georgie Omendale's literally commentated everything. Are there any other players that we think could be good? Alex Chidiak. I'd love to hear Alex Chidiak doing co-coms um, because just from what I've seen of her, she's very articulate and quite sharp as well, which um, I think having that would be really nice. And a lot of the time I think it's also the the person that they're bouncing off as well. So I really like Russ Gibbs and Grace Gill when they're on commentary together because they have, it's not so much banter, but the the way their dynamic is really nice. Um, but yeah, Alex Chidiak, I'd like to see do a stint if she's, if that's something she's interested in. I, I love the idea of Alex Chidiak because she, you know that she would be so professional. She would be so mm. incisive and so eloquent. But I would also just love to see a player that has stacks of personality. Like I'd love to see a Lisa Devanna. I'd love to have a Lisa Devanna on commentary just absolutely going off and just breaking the rules as well and making it a really fun experience, like being biased and, and having opinions and bringing up stories and experiences that she's had against and with all the players that she's seeing on the field. I feel like that would 
add a different kind of dimension to commentary that we haven't really seen before. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you, Harry. I hope that more and more players are offered opportunities to go down this road if it's something that they're interested in, because we need more women in football media and the best and most experienced and most knowledgeable women often in football media are former players. You got people like Grace Gill, you got people like Amy Chapman. They're some of the most fantastic commentators in the W League at the moment because they've been there. They know what it's like. They can talk, they can talk to the history, they can talk to the context, they can talk to the experiences that these players go through that people at home might not be able to actually understand. And I think that's the role of a commentator is to bring the audience into that world and give them insight and, and a much greater understanding of what these players are going through rather than just calling a play-by-play thing of what's going on in the field. I think that's the that's the value of a really good co-commentator. So someone who has been through all that, I think would be the most valuable. Yeah. As a yeah, as someone who does play by play, that's the most valuable thing for me. If um, there's someone you can lean on to provide that insight, um, to talk through what the viewer actually wants to know about, to give some insight into the players, um, into maybe playing on a the certain type of pitch, into the conditions, like that is what you want from players like as co-commentators it's um where they can be their most valuable I think Amy Chapman's done really well this this season and she's done a bit with the A-League as well and got some really good raps when she did that um yeah for me it's the key is if you can have a, a commentator do the play-by-play and then your special comms uh, informed if they're articulate um and I liked Angela's point about Alex Chidiak they know how to bounce off your questions and they genuinely think about it, but they're also able to provide succinct comments as well. I think that's really important. Um, you just want players that are ready to go and can offer some insight. And I think we've been pretty lucky with the players that they've got on board to do that this season. Final comment from me, not necessarily on commentators, although I suppose it could work in. I think Michelle Heyman in kind of the way Sam was describing uh, a co-commentator, just because like, obviously She's so much fun. She's so infectious. She would bring a lot of joy to the broadcast as she does on the pitch. And since we are talking about Michelle Heyman, it was her 100th appearance for Canberra United specifically. So she has become Canberra royalty. She already was, but it's really kind of cemented her status. It's uh, Ellie Brush, Ash Sykes and Michelle Heyman are the players who have played 100 games for Canberra United. So it's illustrious company and it's very, very green company. But um. It was sensational, but we'll move on to the final uh, game of the round. It was it was the big one. It was huge for so many reasons. Adelaide defeated Western Sydney three one at Cooper's Stadium in front of a record crowd. It was it was a huge game. Uh, we Victorians did some dub at the pub action. Harrow, tell us about the dub at the pub, but also about the game. Oh, where to start? Um... Yeah, well, got to dub at the pub with Angela and Marissa and uh, a friend of Angela's as well. And we do like to be at one of our locals, the, the Clyde Hotel in Calton, was this week's pick for dub at the pub. We had our own little area, so we're pretty happy with that. Um, but yeah, the game um, obviously didn't start the way Adelaide would have hoped with Olivia Price scoring for Western Sydney very, very early. And as I mentioned that you love to see it, I thought Adelaide were pretty flat early on the back foot. Western Sydney were all over them. Um, but after Mal Weber set up that equaliser for Isabel Hodgson, it was very much all Adelaide. Um, and 
once that first goal went in, they managed to get that bumper crowd behind them. And we know how parochial that Adelaide crowd at Cooper Stadium can be. Um, I think that really lifted them. Um, they really kicked on from there, obviously. Yeah, put a couple more goals away. Unfortunately, they're not quite enough to put them ahead of Canberra United on goal difference. So if Canberra do win again, I mean, do get a draw against Sydney FC, uh, they will finish above Adelaide. But let's be honest, Adelaide pretty much did all they could do um, to put themselves in a position to play finals for the first time. Yeah, you'd have loved them to put more goals away um, because that would have obviously helped out their goal difference, put them in a really good position. But they fought back from a goal down to not just draw, but win. They're in the top four. I think they're third right now as we record the pod. They're going to rely on other results to go their way to make finals, which is never a position you want to be in, let's be honest. But right now, they're the team in the top four and it's on Melbourne Victory and Canberra United to knock them out. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be an Adelaide player right now waiting this week out, but you can't say they could have done too much more than what they did on the weekend. And what a fantastic spectacle it was. Watching it on TV was so rewarding. I was like, I had a sort of moment where I was like, this is what it could be like all the time. You know, like the Adelaide, I think, need so much credit for organising this initiative of deciding, you know what, we're going to try and break this record because the record up until now was actually pretty small. Only in the low 3,000s for a standalone regular season W League game. They got over 5,000 people, which was amazing, but they only like, they really only gave it a good like week or two's worth of solid media coverage constant social media pushes, all that sort of stuff in and around what you do when you hype up a big event. We saw the kind of success that 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 marketing can have in other sports. You know, we saw it when the AFLW had their grand final in 2019. They had, what, over 50,000 people go to uh, the the final there. We saw it happen when the, the the women's international cricket team broke record at the MCG and getting almost 90,000 people there. We saw it happen in football. We've seen it happen all over the world. I wrote about this for my column this week. This is what happens when you market your league like you market the men's league. This is what happens when you promote your women players the way that you promote your male players. You get people interested. It's no mystery. There is an entire industry called advertising built on this principle like it's it's no it's no shock I don't think to anybody who is listening to this pod who watches the W League that when clubs and the league start to really put their money where their nuts are when they start to really invest and making the league visible making the players visible that more people pay attention that is what we see time and time and time again not just in Australia but around the world and so I would really really hope that the league and that other clubs are going to pay attention to what Adelaide have done this round and actually decide to continue it, you know, to, to make some sort of commitment with each other to bump up the amount of marketing and advertising that the W League team and the W League players get. Because we see what happens when they do. We see what happens when they get that kind of coverage that they're that the A-League has been getting for years and years and years. We get an influx of new fans. And it's like, it's great for the game, particularly when you're, um, 
when when you've got games being played at stadiums like this as well you know stadium like coopers which is a football specific stadium it's beautiful it's played in wonderful weather it had a great crowd it had active support it had everything i think that so many of us in the w league have wanted for such a long time like that was proof of concept that game to me um it was so it was so fabulous even if adelaide didn't win I, I still would have found that whole game a success from that perspective. And who's to say Adelaide would have won if they didn't have that crowd there, if they didn't have that support? Like I said before, when they equalised, clearly it got the crowd up and about and behind them because Western Sydney would have been wrapped that they silenced that crowd early. They get an equaliser and then you've got everything behind you, everyone behind you willing you to win. And it was great to see the mix of people in that crowd too, like groups of teenage boys, um, families, young kids, older people, like just a real mix of people there to watch and to to do their bit and to get around that team, um, which is the least they deserved. Like, And as you nailed it, Sam, like this is exactly what they deserve. This what they've always deserved. I know it's a unique situation in the sense that they had a sponsor pay for tickets, but let's be honest, W League t- tickets are not expensive. Like you could easily continue to get decent crowds at WA games like that without having all the tickets bought for. I know for some people like that would have been the reason they were able to go. You have to recognize that. But I reckon a fair percentage of that crowd would have been able to afford, you know, a $10 ticket to go. Like, and this is what you build on. You obviously have the details of those um, who attended the game and it's making sure that you target them going forward when it's 2021, 22, you go, you loved it in our last home game of um, last season where we, you know, demolished Western Sydney um, in front of a big crowd at Cooper Stadium. Come again. How good's the W League? Local heroes. We've got so many great young South Australian players. Come again. Watch again. And you just go, this is what they have to build off. This is where they have to bounce off and just keep on making it a success. You can't let something like this just be a one-off. Um, I think that's the most important thing, especially when in the wake of that, all the communication from Adelaide has been about this is our audition for having games at the 2023 Women's World Cup here in Adelaide. It can't be a one-off. It can't be we get a crowd to Adelaide United at Cooper Stadium once and then nothing happens again until the 2023 World Cup. Like that's not your ticket stamped. That's not a guarantee. We've seen the potential. Now it's on them and other teams in the league, let's be honest, to do it again, to keep driving the standard, to lift it higher. People will come if you advertise it. People will come if they think it's a spectacle worth attending. And credit to Adelaide, like they've um, consistently pumped up their W League team on par with the men's team, especially on social media this year. If there's a meme for the men's team, there's one for the women's team. Like there's, (laughs) the treatment is effectively the same, yeah? And that's what we want. So now it's, you've set the standard back it up don't rest on your laurels keep going everyone else catch up that's what you want to see great day just wanted to add that this all is foreshadowing a very interesting how good that we have later on in the pod about investing in women's sport what happens when we give women's sport money oh it's nice anyway we'll get to that I don't have anything interesting to add it looked like a great day out um, and yeah, I think it's shout out to everyone who attended, as you said, Anna, yep. Tickets being free. That's a good thing. But 
um, still people would have gone to the effort of, you know, putting it in their calendars and blocking it out and it would have had new fans going along as well. So that's really fantastic. I think one of the pleasing things for me as well was uh, it kind of like piqued my curiosity. I was like, what have the Adelaide men's A-League crowds been like at Cooper Stadium? So for their last three matches at Cooper's, the average has been around that kind of five and 7,000. So it wasn't, you know, it's a pretty standard Adelaide football crowd, which I think was really nice to see as well, that it was just, it was the football community getting behind an Adelaide United game, which is exactly as it should be. You guys have summed it up perfectly. I did want to give some special kudos though to the Adelaide performance. As we've mentioned, they've lost Dylan Holmes a few weeks ago. They've kind of plugged that hole, but they had no Chelsea Dorber who was ruled out with concussion during the week and they lost Charlie Grant really early in that match as well. So for them to deal with all those setbacks, to fill those holes, to still find those goals and that really good play against the Wanderer side that has not been bad, particularly in these last couple of weeks. It was really awesome to see. So I, I do hope we get to see them in finals because they definitely have showed that they would be a good final side. So uh, another player who I think really stepped up for Adelaide in light of those losses is Marisha she has been really, really impressive at centre-back for Adelaide all season. And this game, I just loved everything that she was about, particularly in her relationship with the crowd. There was a moment, I think, where Adelaide had a corner and Walters was sort of like, she was really amped up. She was moving, like bouncing around the box. She was like bumping into people. She was like turning to the crowd and getting them to get really enthusiastic about what was going on. I think they were already in the lead as well. So she was just like, she was fully riding that wave of energy that was coming off of that crowd and that stand. Um, yeah, I, she was just fabulous. And, you know, she scored one of the goals, of course, just popped up at the back post with just continents worth of space around. I don't know what Western Sydney were doing there. Um, but she she was wonderful. She's been such an important leader, I think, for that side as well. And it's and sort of nicely poetic that she scored against her old NW2. Um, sort of speaking of the Wanderers, you know, I, I tweeted about this as well after the game. But I think that even though they did lose 3-1, um, the Wanderers have had such an impressive back half of their season. And I think that it's, you know, once again, it's worth saying that if this season was longer and not just a full home and away season, but an actual long, a 20 plus game season, this Wanderers side, I am pretty convinced would be making a charge for finals towards the back end of that hypothetical season, because they just seem to have finally clicked. The last sort of month's worth of games have been so finally found what their identity is as a team, I think, particularly their, their attacking identity, the players that they've got going forward and the chemistry that they've built between those front three players, I think has been really interesting and really special to watch. I love seeing Tegan Collister sort of come into her own and start to play a really important role for that side. It's been great seeing Julianne Russells get some really good minutes as well. And Briley Henry, of course, when she scored her debut goal um, over the past couple of weeks, she's, she's been getting better and better as the games go on. And, you know, that's exactly what we want to see. We want to see these players be given these platforms and these opportunities to grow. But, you know, even though we say that because we've got the Matildas that left and blah, 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 this, this is still a very narrow platform. This is still a platform only of 12 to 14 games. And now all these players are going to be scattered either across Australia or across the rest of the world to play a more significant and longer season where they're going to be learning different styles of football, playing with different players, 
all that sort of stuff. So it'll be really, I mean, like Football Australia and the clubs have said for years that a full home and away season is the number one priority, effectively. I'll be really gobsmacked if they don't extend it to full home and away next season. Um, and I'll also be shocked if they don't introduce an expansion side because I think that that is well overdue. Um, and these players, as like this season has been proof that these players, when they are given the opportunity to shine, they will. So, yeah, I, I'm really I'm really impressed with the Wanderers and especially considering I pegged them for the wooden spoon at the start of the season. I am very, very happy to be because they've been excellent over the last couple of weeks that I really am excited to see how they continue. Just one more well, note on the game from me. Uh, I just loved seeing the bit of argy-bargy between Lena Kamas and Mallory Mullen at the end. Um, I think it was quite late in the game. Just It was at a corner and there were just sort of multiple corners in a row and they, they were just pushing and shoving and there was a lot of finger pointing and Lara Lee's just come running over and been like, that's it, yellow card for you, yellow card for you, enough of this, stop it. <laughs> Lena Carver's to her credit just keeps on whinging like just just very funny like I really enjoyed it there's clearly a bit of heat in this game throughout um Western Sydney would have been frustrated that they obviously dropped the points after leading early Adelaide keen to just keep on scoring and just the two of them just absolutely cracking the shits with each other and Lauren Lee having none of it whatsoever um yeah very much enjoyed that. Just sort of topped off a very sort of spicy game of football already. It was very much Gordon Ramsay. Fuck off, fuck off, fuck off. <laughs> energy from Lara. I was going to say to Sam, um, well, 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 look how the turntables <laughs> just re your wooden spoon prediction. But we, we love growth from Western Sydney Wanderers and from you. We love that me yeah anyway so that was big round of w league they always are because there's literally like so few of them but um we've got lots of really interesting upcoming fixtures it's the final round um and obviously we'll have the rescheduled sydney melbourne victory game which obviously has huge ramifications for finals for the premier's plate and it's just you know it's always a good game between those two sides we don't know when that is but once it is rescheduled we'll obviously share it on our socials the games that we do know are coming up on thursday night we've got melbourne city hosting perth glory on friday canberra v sydney it's going to be huge it's going to be really really important and then on sunday we've got victory hosting perth at epping and Brisbane hosting Newcastle. It'll be Claire Polkinghorne's final game in a raw jersey for now. She signed for Swedish club Vitiso uh, midweek, so she'll be heading over there, uh, won't be taking part in Brisbane Raw's finals campaign. So great move for her, but what a time to be losing someone like Claire Polkinghorne uh, ahead of finals. I guess, Marissa, the, the big thing with this round, as you said, is all the different permutations. Like we're heading into the last W League games and there's still five teams to squeeze into four here. <laughs> like, there's so much still at stake. Um, Sydney FC have qualified. Brisbane Raw have effectively qualified because they have a massive goal difference, which means that you've got Melbourne Victory, Adelaide United, Canberra United, all trying to fit into those final two spots. Yeah, so Adelaide, they've done all they can. 
They've played all their games. They're sitting in third spot on 22 points, equal with Brisbane Raw, who have one game left. As I said, Brisbane can still win the Premier's plate. They're two points behind Sydney FC, um, but Sydney have two games to play. So really, the Sydney FC have their own fate in their own hands, like in terms of that plate. If they win one of those two games against either Victory or Canberra, they will win the Premier's plate. There you go. Simple. Just got to do that thing, Sydney FC. Do it for Sam. Um, Canberra, uh, fourth at the moment on 21 points. They have one game left against Sydney FC. Because of that Victory Sydney game getting postponed, Canberra now face the prospect of playing Sydney FC in what is a genuinely live match for the Premier's plate. So if Sydney had played Victory, they could well have already claimed the Premier's plate, claimed top spot, obviously. But now that's still on the line for them. And I guess the matter of a home final is still on the line for Sydney FC because Brisbane can still overtake them and uh, Victory, of course, can still overtake them. I mean, it's, it's unlikely, but that's what can happen. So Canberra can make things, I guess, more comfortable for themselves with a win. Um, they will still qualify with a draw because they have a better goal difference than Adelaide. In short, they have to take a point off Sydney to guarantee top four spot. Melbourne Victory are a point back on 20, but they have two games left. They have one against Perth Glory, which they should win, given Perth are basically the wooden spooners elect. Um, sorry, Perth, that's just the way it is. And then they obviously have that game against Sydney FC to come. So Melbourne Victory can actually still win the Premier's plate. They can effectively Bradbury their way up just because of having all these games accumulated and having just knocked up some wins. So if they beat Perth, they are into finals. One of Canberra or Adelaide is out. Um, they basically just need to get some points from these two games. A win against Perth at home will do the job. That seals their final spot. Anything against Sydney is a bonus. So that's where it sits. Basically, tough week ahead for Adelaide, who have to just wait and see. For victory in Canberra, their fates are effectively in their own hands. Big week of dub. Does that cover off everything? It does. I wasn't emotionally prepared for that as a Victory fan. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, now that I know it's a possibility, I, I'll, I'll be stressing about it. Oh, well, come on, girls. Let's get it done. I d- the stress, though, for Adelaide, like, it's only Monday and I would be having kittens if I was an Adelaide fan or an Adelaide player. Just the absolute agony of this week is going to be... <laughs> dreadful for them i really Um, hope though is that there is someone in the adelaide squad who films them watching game so that they they can get like the live reaction of when that whistle goes and they find out whether or not they've made finals i think that's going to be awesome yes we've got big week of dub there's always other matches going on around the world as well so we'll just do a quick recap of our aussies in the fawsl we had a few midweek games and then a couple over the weekend. So we had Chelsea continue winning. They beat Everton 3-0. They stay on top of the table. They're just going to keep doing what they're doing. Uh, West Ham and Birmingham drew 2-2. West Ham are still in the relegation spot. It's not great areas for them. Man City beat Bristol City 3-0. Arsenal exacted some revenge on Manchester United and beat them 2-0, which was a spicy game to say the least and then Tottenham just keep drawing they drew with Bristol 1-1 
earlier this morning. We're recording on a Monday, so lots of games still to be played. We've got Champions League coming up big week as well, so we'll probably have a little chat about that next week. But let's move into some boots because there's a few of them. Uh, I'll start us off with a quick one. We found out the extent of Mackenzie Arnold's injury. She sprained her MCL, so it's a big metaphorical boot to the knee an actual boot to the knee would probably injure her further but just the knee is a bad joint and it needs to stop getting injured so we hope she recovers quickly but yeah it's a big boot to a Mackenzie Arnold injury Ah! but yes lots of other boots Angela kick us off with your boot for this week my boot um I'll keep it brief it's pretty self-evident why this sucks and this was actually um also suggested to us by um a listener who sent us a very kind message. So thank you for, for that. But also, yeah. So basically Melbourne Victory had a, an update from their chairman, Anthony Di Pietro, this week. Um, basically touched on a few things that have been circulating around the A-League side. So active support um, and the performance of the A-League team, which if anyone doesn't follow the A-League, um, hasn't been great for Victory this season. Not great. Um but they just didn't mention the women at all. Not not one tiny little, just like token little reference to the women's side who, as we just discussed, could be getting the Premier's plate if everything goes their way. That aside, are having an excellent season, are probably going to make finals. And, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's just, ugh. That, it, it's happened a couple it's just I feel like I've done the same boot like three times this season directed at victory but sometimes it really bothers me how it feels like we're just as members of the club and as fans of the club we're just like begging for crumbs and begging to be like recognized as part of the larger club at whole instead of just like pushed off to one side so yeah that's my boot forgetting the women's team exists again okay Speaking of begging for crumbs, boot, Harrow, it's not football technically, but it was worthy of a boot. Yeah, this made news, I think, just about everywhere this week. Um, Obviously, the NCAA uh, national basketball tournaments are happening, like March Madness. Um, What's happened is obviously they're all, it's all happening in a bubble, um, the men's competition and the women's competition. so what happened earlier this week was Stanford University sports performance coach um, Ali Kirshner has posted um, photos on her Instagram page um, highlighting just this extraordinary disparity between the weights and strength and conditioning facilities afforded to the, the men's players versus uh, the women's. So like the men's team, and this is because um, I think some of the people involved with the men's teams have posted photos of the, the weights set up and basically it's this massive like gym hall area like was like a a massive function room I guess it's been converted into a gym um so there's obviously all these racks weight benches um yeah dumbbell racks barbells squat racks etc um and then we saw the photo of the women's setup which was like one little weight tree with dumbbells um apparently only weighing up to 30 pounds that's what 15 kilos ish and a pile of yoga mats um which is pretty damning like it's meant to be, you'd like to think it was going to be the same setup. It wasn't. Um, 
as uh, Kirshner says in her initial post, you know, this needs to be addressed. These women want and deserve to be given the same opportunities. Not only that, three weeks in a bubble and no access to dumbbells above 30 pounds until the sweet 16. In a year defined by a fight for equality, this is a chance to have a conversation and get better. And obviously that's garnered attention from around the world, um, from WNBA players to NBA players. Like we saw Kyrie Irving, we saw Steph Curry, post about this say effectively that it wasn't good enough and the good news is that I mean we shouldn't have had to have as as we say every time we have to do a boot these things are so avoidable um the women's teams now do have a, a much better weight set up and um it wasn't about money apparently the NCAA said it was about space um to which some of the athletes said but what about this big space here that we're not using and funnily enough I think that was the big space that ended up getting used when they brought in all the weight equipment so now the women have access to actually be the athletes they should be um not football but i think it's some of the sort of challenges that we've seen throughout football and that you see throughout every women's sport um at the end of the day it's the sort of thing where we're all in that fight together um because we know if one sport at that level is missing out on equal access to facilities then it's probably happening at other ones too so yeah credit to i guess everyone that called it out but a massive boot to the NCAA, first of all, for the stuff up. But also, did they think no one was going to notice? <laughs> did they think no one was going to talk? Like, these are college athletes. Like, chances are, one, they're going to walk into these rooms at some point. But also, some of these men's players and some of the women's players probably know each other. They go to college together. They're both in these high-performance sports teams. So... They were going to find out. It was going to go public. It was always going to blow up in their face. It's the least they deserved. And now hopefully, hopefully we just see it. This is the start of being better because that's the least those athletes deserve. A big boot. Ah! Um, I guess while we're on the topic of, you know, how the men's game is assessed compared to the women's game, it's worth touching on this one from Germany, which is, also no good. Um, German reporter um, Jasmina Schweimler has posted about this. Um, apparently Borussia Mönchengladbach's under-23 coach Heikel Vogel was, an, was ordered to train the women's team as a punishment for unsporting behaviour. Um, yeah, women's coaching the women's team, a punishment. Um, you have to see it to believe it. Um, apparently the players from the first and second women's division sent an open letter to the German Football Federation regarding the behaviour and punishment and the translation of the statement said we all feel offended, discriminated and ridiculed. We ask our training women can be set as punishment. Training is never a punishment for a coach but their job no matter if male or female athletes. The judgment discriminates against all women in sports especially in soccer and that's just part of the statement. It's just not good enough. Coaching women or working with women's teams is not a punishment. German football, get it right. Don't do it again. No, but you're right. And, like, one of the other things with that German coach thing that blew my tiny mind was apparently, like, the reason he was being punished was because he was uh, rude and abusive to match officials, including two female assistant referees. And apparently he said something to them along the lines of women simply shouldn't be on a soccer field. So I don't know how training women is going to then the disconnect i don't like i said big boot big boot 
Could it be some sort of like the reasoning is? It just to also like it folds into that. Yes, it folds into that wider narrative of like women are here in order to facilitate men's growth. I don't give a fuck that this guy is a sexist. Let him just let him go and coach a like a, an under fives team. That's where he belongs <laughs> if he wants to be a dickhead. Let's do another boot because apparently we're on a roll. Sam, the floor is your, now yours. So a hat trick of boots relating to forgetting about your women athletes, it seems, this week. Uh, It was been reported recently that Fenway Sports Group, who are a sort of a uh, multi-nation, multi-industry sort of firm, which owns the Boston Red Sox, it owns Liverpool FC, is also now wanting to expand, as many franchises are wont to do. Uh, And as part of that expansion process, they are wanting to bring on board an NWSL team and uh, and a WNBA team. So they're wanting to move into women's sport. Uh, Sounds great. It sounds like their Fenway Sports Group are wanting to do what City Football Group have done, invest lots of money, take over lots of teams, make an entire sort of empire out of what you're doing. But here's the thing. Fenway Sports Group already owns a women's team. They're called Liverpool Women, and they seem to have completely forgotten that they exist. Uh, Meg Linehan at The Athletic wrote about it when it was announced, um, or when the Boston Globe uh, wrote about that Fenway Sports Group wanted to do this. And she, like me, is a Liverpool fan and has been paying very close attention to how Liverpool have been treating their women's side over the last couple of years. And I'll just read uh, a couple of paragraphs from her article about it. Liverpool FC play in the second division FA Women's Championship and are currently 10 points back from the top of the table. Despite winning back-to-back titles in the Women's Super League in 2013 and 2014, they have experienced a steady decline, culminating in relegation to the championship in 2020. The team has also simply allowed an exodus of top talent over the past few years, which accelerated in both 2018 and following the team's relegation. While the men were busy winning trophies across Europe in 2019 and 2020, the women were underfunded and forgotten, listing the majority of the team's players as semi-professional. Liverpool just spent £50 million on the new AXA training centre in Kirkby, but have neglected to allow their own women's team to train there. Instead, the women train at Tranmere Rovers facility, the campus, and play at Prenton Park. The team is still without a manager after Vicky Jepson's departure in January. They might be present in a decent chunk of Liverpool's social media graphics or jersey launches, but that seems to be as far as Liverpool and Fenway Sports Group's interest extends, the bare minimum and for optics only. So there's very little to suggest based on their track record in the women's sports space that Fenway Sports Group is going to give more of a shit about any sort of women's team that they bring on board, whether it's in basketball or in football. Um, I am very sceptical. And again, I say this as a Liverpool fan, it's, you know, the way that they have gone about their women's program has just been diabolical, especially considering they are perhaps one of the top five most profitable football clubs on the planet at the moment. They can afford to do it. They just choose not to. Um, so I'm I'm a little concerned about what this is going to look like in terms of the NWSL. Um, I know that some people are quite excited at the prospect that Fenway Sports Group could uh, reintroduce the Boston Breakers back to the NWSL. They had to fold a couple of seasons ago due to underfunding. 
And uh, because Fenway, Boston Red Sox, Boston Breakers, like there's a whole sort of narrative there that would be nice. But if it's just for optics and there's no actual investment, there's no genuine foundation strategy there to really build the women's team, the women's club, the women athletes, then I, I'm worried that it's just going to be another optical exercise for this uh, this overarching evil empire. So big old boot to to Fenway Sports Group, um, but with a little asterisk if they happen to turn things around over the next few years. I do wonder as well, perhaps that's like someone has seen or a bunch of people have seen that there's an, a market in America that like people like to spend money on women's sport and women's soccer in particular, whereas the FAWSL is still growing into itself um, and the championship, like, I don't know. Is it just like, oh, they're in the championship. We don't have to worry about that. They're not going to make us money. Let's look elsewhere. I don't know. Either either way, if it's for optics or if it's for, you know, trying to cash in on a pre-existing market, I don't like it either way. Uh, my point to that would be that if you can't market Liverpool, then maybe you shouldn't, you know, be involved in football and stuff because, as Sam mentioned, that's one of the biggest brands let alone football clubs on the planet so if you can't make that work in England then yeah so would love for them to get an an NWSL team but for them to also then actually pay attention to the the team that they've had for ages right under their noses that would be the ideal scenario here but um that was a lot of boots so we need to we need to switch it up we need to get into some how goods Anna Please start us off with the how good. This is one of the biggest how goods we've ever had, which we probably need after all the boots. Um, conveniently timed for our pod re- um, record, this one as well. Um, huge step forward for women's football, especially in the UK. The, w- the FAWSL has just announced a record-breaking broadcast deal with BBC and Sky. Um, £8 million a season deal. Um that's what 14 odd million Australian dollars a season. So it'll run for three years from the 2021-22 season. Um, some of the money is going to go towards like central investments, like developing and supporting refereeing, and the rest is going to be split amongst clubs. WSL clubs receive 75% of that money allocated and 25% go to championship. Some of the money will be merit-based. So I guess in terms of where you finish, promotion, relegation, winning the league, yada, yada. Um, Kelly Simmons, who's the FA's director of the women's professional game, described it as a landmark moment for the women's game and a massive breakthrough for women's sport and women's football. We know that broadcast rights are basically the biggest thing in sports everywhere. <laughs> That's where the money comes from. And all of a sudden that cash injection is going into the women's game. Um, so Sky Sports are going to show up to 44 live games across its channels. Um, Sky will show two fixtures per round and the BBC will show one with the other 75 games of the, I guess, the season being aired on the FA player. Um, So Sky Sports has said that they'll give the WSL the full Sky Sports treatment. So that's build-up, reaction, um, narrative across news and digital platforms. The whole shebang, really, guys, which is what we love to see. BBC have committed to putting putting 18 of their 22 games on BBC One and BBC Two. both Sky Sports and the BBC have rights to online highlights rights and clubs will be able to use in-game clips and highlights too. So 
Um, they're looking at four time slots. This is local time, Sunday, 12.30, Saturday, 11.30, Sunday, 6.30 p.m. and Friday, 6.30 p.m. And the other thing is because of these locked in time slots, they're going to have to focus on making sure the pitches are up to standard, consistent home grounds, I guess, pitches that can deal with different conditions. Um, so at the end of the day, it's a win, 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 win for everyone. We see more money going to the clubs, more money going to the players, you'd think as a flow on of that. The league's more attractive. It's, there's better broadcasting, like the broadcasting quality is better. There's more analysis. There's just more going on generally. The game is being covered effectively the same way as the men's game is over there. And it's also going to lead to um, an improvement in terms of the quality of what we see I guess on and off a pitch in terms of things like pitch availability, ensuring that games are played at the right time, right place. Um, yeah, it's, it's super exciting. Like this is a huge development. It's been flagged for a while that this is going to happen, but to have, actually have it in paper is, is massive. Um, and you'd like to think that will lead be another step for the FAWSL and wanting to show that it's the best league in the world, because I mean, I don't think anywhere else is competing with that right now. So yeah, Huge step for the women's game, huge step for the women's game in the UK in particular, and just a massive deal in terms of seeing more and more women's sports in high-profile places and these games and these athletes and these coaches and everyone involved in the women's game over there getting the recognition they deserve. A huge how good. So good. Uh, Sam, how good from you? So bouncing off Harrow's how good and sort of the polar opposite of my boot about Liverpool is Manchester United. This weekend, uh, the Manchester United women's team are going to be playing their first ever game at Old Trafford. It'll be against West Ham. It's going to be a fabulous spectacle. Unfortunately, the crowds aren't going to be allowed because of the COVID situation. But, you know, it, it, Manchester United, I think, have, have demonstrated what it looks like when a big men's club really gets behind their women's team. We've seen how brilliantly they've played this season. We've seen how fantastic Casey Stoney is, has been as a manager, how all these players, we've said before, they will run through walls for her. They have a really big fan base, particularly online. Anytime anyone writes anything about them, it gets absolute numbers. So the fact that the club have now made the deliberate decision to showcase their women's sides, really successful women's side, potential European women's side on the hallowed turf of Old Trafford is, I think, a really fabulous, um, really fabulous thing for the club and for the players. They're going to love it so much. And the fact that you've got other Manchester United players like Marcus Rashford, who have been pumping it up, drawing attention to the women's side and how great that they've been. You know, it's, it's just, it's like all the good stuff that we've talked about this episode in one like little microcosmic moment, reaching all the way back to our chat about Adelaide. You know, you give these players, these platforms, these fantastic spaces, these stadiums to showcase themselves and their teams, and they're going to do something special. So yeah, Manchester United giving a shit about their women's team. How good. Amazing. It's going to be incredible for those players. Angela, how good. Yes. So we've been talking about looking to the future a lot, but um, my how good is, um, I guess, looking at the past. I don't know. This is probably only applicable to me and like the people who listen to this, who are from my soccer club and are great friends and listen to this podcast. But um, I was doing some like research assistant 
sort of work um, last week um, with Ian Sison, who has done like football history, um, Australian football history is his area of research for many years. And I found some stuff in his documents that look at like um, one of the earliest leagues for soccer in Melbourne and my current club, Melbourne Uni, were like referenced in there, which was real cute. So like it's just got records of like basically the league tables from these earlier champions divisions and stuff, which is real cute. But what made me laugh is that like Melbourne Uni were listed in one of the years, I think it's 1983, is like having having points deducted for playing with an unregistered player. So hopefully history does not repeat itself in that regard because that's like an administrator's worst nightmare. It's just like which one of you did not register and now look what you've done. Anyway, so that's that's my how good, just like finding a cute little like reference to my soccer club. Um, yeah, and people like going to the effort to record that sort of stuff is awesome as well. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to reveal our full why so history enough selves in the future as well with more stuff like this. Hint, hint. <laughs> Absolutely. How good. I think that's, that's it from us. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, you can find us on espn.com.au. You can download the ESPN app and find us there, or you can find us on Spotify, Google, Apple, wherever you really get your podcasts. If you like what we're doing, please leave a review or a rating. But yes, if you want to get in contact with us, we're at the Far Post Pod on all social media. Um, we love having you guys send us things. As we mentioned, one of the boots this week was sent through by a listener. So we appreciate it. We appreciate you tagging us in things and whatnot. Um, but yeah, so until next week, slayers.